the uh, persecuted church is a uh, uh, it's what's going on today. It's been bad for the last 2,000 years, and uh, it's just progressively gotten worse. Second Timothy tells us that things will go from bad to worse in the last days. Uh, you've got a report from one of our missionaries that is in your handout today that talks about uh, one of the locations that we support. Uh, Nepal, I don't know if the thing is still on the back table, but uh, when uh, my wife passed away, a lot of gifts were given. And those gifts were taken into Nepal. And Solo was able to do some conferences. He got a couple of more to do. We've been blessed to be able to have opportunity uh, in that particular location for a long time now, uh, since back before their big earthquake. We find the same thing going on in India, the same thing going on in Burma. We find the same thing going on in Congo. We find it all over Africa. And it's it's a persecution of people just because they're Christian. And if we think it's not coming here, it's already started. It's already started. When they don't want us to talk about our God in the schools, it's already started. Uh, and it started a long time ago, and now it's getting getting worse. The um, So the uh, <clears throat> persecuted church is something we need to remember every day. It's oftentimes people have, have analyzed the whole world based on their village, and that's not the way to do it. Now we have the opportunity to say this is what's going on everywhere and we need to we need to be in prayer about it. Um, Voice of the Martyrs it put this out. They, uh, they are in special tune with all those areas of persecution uh, around the globe. Sometimes we'll contact them to let them know about something we heard and they already knew about it. So they're, they're doing a good job. But there is a lot to keep up with and take care of. The some of our missionaries up there on the on the backboard, I'm trying not to say their names, but some of the missionaries up on the backboard go into the hot spots wherever you find something really bad going on, that's where they go. And they go in with the with the word of God, humanitarian aid if they can, any any method they can do that, and that's what they do is go help people and they spread the, the love of the Lord in the process. Now, we have been given power, believe it or not. The church has been given power. And where did it come from? Because it's one of those things that gets so often uh, misunderstood, misconstrued. And when people misunderstand the word, they often get disillusioned with it. When we have to stay with the word to find out what does the word tell us about power. Because you've been given power. We know that for a fact. But what does that mean? And what does that entail? Some people like James and John said, Hey, can we call down fire out of heaven and blow up this village because they didn't agree with us? Okay? Wrong use of power. They didn't know how to use it. So what does the Bible tell us about the use of this power that we have as Christians? Well, we're going to take a look at that. And that's, that's our topic for today. Before we begin, let's take just a moment for prayer. 
present yourself in front of the throne of grace um, as, as a believer. You are you believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have accepted Him as your personal Savior. And if you haven't, it's real easy to do. Just tell the Father that's I'm doing that right now because He took your place on a cross. He was buried. He rose again on the third day, appeared to over 40 people, and then ascended into heaven where he's going to come back in a like manner. We just covered these verses uh, this this past week or so. And so <clears throat> we're looking for him to come back, but what do we do now? How do, how do we live is the question we ask. So let us prepare to study the Word of God because we're going to see the importance of the Word of God in the Christian life as we move through this use of the power given to us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we're so amazed you'd have anything to do with us. Fallen humanity is such a mess. And Father, we, we see it going from bad to worse, just like you said it would. But Father, we also know that we're to keep looking up and set our mind on the things above where Christ is, seated at your right hand. So Father, I pray as we open up your word this morning, each of us would be challenged and encouraged, convicted where we need it, so that indeed we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. This is the, the verse I want to take because we covered the first part of Acts 1 last week. And it was about uh, what happened right after the resurrection of Christ. Had some comments in there. We've also connected Luke 24 and other passages with it. But Acts chapter 1, and I'll draw your attention to verse 8. Because they said, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons. The Father's fixed by his own authority. You, start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. Start where you live. Okay? Then go to the places, Judea, the more familiar places. So for us, it's starting our town, starting our little city, move into the, uh, the larger area. And then he says, uh, Samaria. The Jews didn't like Samaritans. The third part of that was go places you don't like. Have you ever noticed God sometimes asks us to do things we don't want to do? But that's where the real blessing is. Like go roll the stone away let, so I can call Lazarus forth. But by this time he stinks. Well what happened when they did it? He walked out of the tomb. That's exactly what happened. So sometimes he asks us to do things that we don't particularly care for in order to show us something far greater. And then he said the remotest parts of the earth. And we have people scattered all over the remotest parts of the earth now. And what a what a blessing that is. That that little lady Eleanor Young went into um, uh, Papua New Guinea and um, polio as a kid. People said she couldn't do it. Well, she did. She went in there Learned, the, learned their language, developed a language for the tribe she was assigned to, wrote it down, taught it to them, and translated a Bible for them. And 
All this having to battle through polio, post-polio syndrome, and everything else. So it's worth reading the, that little book back there, Writing on Broken Legs. Now, he says, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. So what is this power? Now, first of all, salvation from the penalty for sin through faith enters the believer into relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is one of those interesting things that you sometimes um, wonder, well, are we related? We, we know we're in the Son, we're in the Holy Spirit, but we forget the fact that we're in the Father because the Son is in the Father as well. And they call this a positional truth. Now, in um, Matthew uh, 28... Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So what do they have power to do? Go. Right? This power is going to come on them so that they're going to be able to go into remote areas and tell people about this amazing message. Because when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just for a specialized few. It was for everybody. He is the propitiation for our sins, 1 John 2, 1, and not for ours only, but those of the whole world. So there's not just a handful of people that God picked out. He said, this salvation is open for everybody. And the Lord Jesus took care of the sins of everybody. So everybody can believe. They have that potential to believe and to be saved. But the source of all power is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now here we are, we're the, as a believer, and we're supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity spelled out quite, quite clearly. It's interesting that, that with this, when we look to the Father, I think it builds our hope. Because what's the making of a model church? We, we mentioned that earlier. It's faith, hope, and love, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That's what measures a church. Is it a model church or not? Where's their faith? Where's their hope? Where's their love? Now, hope connects us to the Father because the Father is the planner. Okay? And he's got this plan. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows how it's all going to play out. He's led us in on a lot of things we call prophecy. And so we're able to, to have this hope. Hope is faith about the future. See? Do I know? It, it, the Greek word is a word that means a confident expectation. It doesn't have the English connotation of wishful thinking. And we all... Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? I mean, so that's hopeful thinking for, for a lot of people. I mean, that's wishful thinking. But a confident expectation says, I'm looking forward to it. In the future, it's, it's going to be mine. Now, <clears throat> that enters us into union. The Son is the object of faith. God, who became man, took our place on a cross, died, was buried, rose again. And ascended to the right hand of the Father. That's what the scripture has said. And where does love come from? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. You, you guys know that. So I think as we grow and our hope gets stronger about the future. And we're not concerned about the future. 
These things are written to you who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you might know you have eternal life. Whenever we get stronger about that, this hope builds. And our relationship with the Father builds because we trust Him all the more. And then, how about the Son? How about John 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being by Him. And through Him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. That's a pretty good statement about God because it says in the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, glory as of the only begotten of the Father. God chose to become man. Now, the more we understand about him, who he is, what he did, Jesus, meek and mild, I am meek and gentle of heart, he said. But the more we understand about him, the closer we can get to him. The more we appreciate the cross, the closer we can get to him. And as we rely on the Holy Spirit and learn the Word, our love for God has the potential to increase. Because it can't be just about the knowledge. But the knowledge is essential. We have to have the knowledge, but it's about applying the knowledge that we have. And that that love is, oh, I, I can love my neighbor as myself. I don't like my neighbor. Especially when they ride loud little motorcycles up and down my street and I'm trying to watch a football game. <laughs> One time's not bad, back and forth becomes an issue. But the Lord taught me a little about love yesterday afternoon while I was watching the replay of two of our favorite teams uh, there. And then just like everything else that went haywire yesterday electronically, Two minutes till the end of the game, and I don't know how it came out, and my recording ended. And I just looked at that one at figures. <laughs> Everything else that's gone gone haywire today, why not? <laughs> I'm not going to get upset about it. I just looked it up and found out that, oh, you lost. And, that, and so Danny got his wish is really what happened. So he, he looked forward to those times that, Oklahoma State won. But what happens in, as your love grows and you learn to have respect for other people? Because that's one of the principles of one another. You have respect for one another. Their ideas, their attitudes, you can talk about them, discuss them, but have respect for them as a human being who's created in the image of God. And be able to talk, talk from that position. And then learn to have the same love that God has for them. If they're unbelievers... Uh, and and they are involved in all kinds of evil. It's hard to do. But we're all called enemies until we accept Christ as our Savior. Read Romans 5. We are enemies of God. And that should be something we don't want to be a part of. But see, this is where the relationship grows. Now, <clears throat> salvation from the power of sin involves a growing relationship with the Trinity and the power to honorably live life. From Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, because if you're living according to the flesh, you have to die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. 
See, once we accept Christ as our Savior, the penalty for sin has been paid already, and the power of sin is broken. But it doesn't mean it's gone. The penalty is gone because we're going to stand in front of the Lord. What a, what a blessing that is. We're going to stand in front of the Lord. And he says that if you're putting to death the deeds of the body, that's the works of the flesh. Paul talks about in Galatians 5. And if you're, if you're doing this, ah, guess what? You're putting them to death. Then you're going to really live. Your life as a Christian is about starting as a baby and growing up. It's where, where we all start. It's where we all start. And then hopefully we grow up and we mature. And part of maturing is doing the things we know we ought to do even when, when we don't want to do them. Why do we do those things? Because God said this is righteousness, this is not. Okay? So we have to learn. We have to be taught. We have to be trained. He says, For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. You see what we just had there, the spirit, and then enter the Father. And Abba is a very personal term, basically means daddy. So it means that you've come to a point in your life that the heavenly Father is not some potentate sitting on a throne. He's daddy. That's the point we want want to be at. The Spirit himself bears witness that with our spirit, this is a human spirit, by the way, we, we receive at the moment of salvation, that we are children of God. Do you realize you're a child of God? He says, the Spirit bears witness that with our spirit we're children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Do you, see, do you see how Paul brought the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together in one verse? And it's about relationship. And if indeed you suffer with him in order that you may be glorified with him. <laughs> Suffering is part of what we go through in this life. The Lord told his disciples the night before the cross... In this world you have trouble. Okay? Take heed. It's okay. I've overcome the world. Now what you're going to be able to do is not get rid of all the pain and suffering this side of heaven. But you're going to be able to go through it. And endure it. With honor and character and integrity. What Peter writes about in chapter 1 of Second Peter. The things we've looked at multiple times. You, you do the right things. Okay? <clears throat> Galatians 4, verse 6 and 7, he says, Because you're sons, God has also sent forth the Spirit, Holy Spirit, of his Son, Jesus, into our hearts, crying, Daddy, Father. Look at the personal nature that we have in front of us for the relationship with the Trinity. Therefore, you're no longer a slave. You've been brought out of, bought out of slavery. Slavery to the power of sin. This sin nature on the inside we got from Adam. We're slave to it until the power is broken. We can't break the power. We can fight it, but it can't be broken. Only Jesus can do that. That's how strong it is. It's interesting, we saw verses this morning where the heavens are the work of his hands. 
when God made the heavens and the earth, how difficult was it? Did he have bulldozers out and, you know, lasers and putting all this stuff together and all that? No, he went, it's the work of his hands. He may have put it all up there in this tapestry and said, okay, Orion, I want you over here. And Copernicus, I want you over here. <laughs> he he had the ability to do that, but it's called the finger work of God. But salvation took his arm. See the degree of difficulty? It took his power to save you. And we so easily take it for granted. Now, uh, Believers are called to draw near to God. Okay? He puts the hickey on us. Let us draw near to God. You draw near to God, and He's going to draw near to you. To draw near to God, and as that is accomplished, He draws near to them. See, everybody tries to make it about God. Well, what has God done for me? Well, He hadn't done anything good for me lately, is one of the the arguments that is made. You know, the fact we're still taking a breath is something good. In fact, uh, when you track out the word grace, and you track out the word breath, and you track out the grace is the word charis, and when the fact that you take a breath is a charisma gift. That's a very fact. Okay? Because every breath is by the grace of God. So everybody that's breathing is charismatic, if you want to get down to it, by tracing the words out. But everything that he has given us, this opportunity that he's given us, we have been blessed by grace. And as we have received him, Colossians 2.6, so we are to walk in him. How do we get him? By grace, through faith. How do we walk? By grace, through faith. We don't push the grace. We don't abuse the grace. But we're all goof-ups. And we need the grace. (laughs) So... Draw near to God. And as as you do that, because there's multiple passages, seek him with all your heart and you're going to find him. That's what it says. Don't don't be afraid to want more of God besides just enough to keep him off your back. Now, believers are said to be in the Son, who is in the Father with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3, verse 3 and 4. He says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We often think as believers, when we believe in Christ, we're entered into union with Christ. And that's true, but it's not all the story. Because what we find out, <clears throat> here we are, pardon my Gumby figures figures that I put this thing together with. But <clears throat> if we become believers, guess what? We are a new creation. Now this guy just happens to be bigger. But we are a new creation and we are said to be in the sun. That's what it's telling us. And it also tells us that the Son is in the Father, in 1 Thessalonians 1. So that means that we are in the Son and the Father, and the Holy Spirit is inside of us. Can you think of a more secure place to be anywhere than right there? 
I, I don't see it. You have done what you're called to do, which is to have faith in Christ Jesus. What does he do? That. He loves you. The verses that Kelvin read, Romans 8, 35 to 39. There is nothing, not height or depth or principalities, powers, things present, things to come, can separate you from the love of the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that to me is is comfort. Have you ever wondered if God's listening to you? You ever wondered if your prayers are getting out of the room? You ever wondered about such things? Guess what? You are in His hand, and nothing can take you from that. The power given to believers is correctly used by being a disciple. Being a disciple. Who is he talking to? These disciples. What's going to happen? Wait until the power comes on you. When is it going to come on them? It came on them on the day of Pentecost. And it came on and and there it was. The Holy Spirit stopped being upon believers, as it said, and started being in believers. The Holy Spirit moved into the life of individuals. Now, the Holy Spirit's role has always been the same. What does he do? Convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what he does. He's always been the same. He just changed his base of operations. That's what he did. He was upon us because we had sins that were being covered until the cross. That's what atonement means. And then on the cross it said they were taken away. It's no longer an issue. And this thing called redemption and salvation no longer an issue. So the Holy Spirit was covering us while the sins were being covered and then whenever that covering is taken away he moved inside. That's, that's pretty neat, isn't it? That's pretty neat. But how do you how do you how do you go about accessing this power? Sometimes people think, well, God gave me power. I'm just going to go do a few miracles here. I'm going to raise people from the dead. I'm going to do any number of things. Why did He give us the power? Well. In John 8, verse 31 and 32, some people say they are disciples of Christ. Why don't we let Christ say what makes a disciple? He says, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word. To to abide means to make your house there. In what? His word. Then you're truly disciples of mine. Okay? It's about a lifestyle. The bonds of sin have been broken. And you decide that you're going to follow Jesus. You are going to learn from him and try to live like him. In verse 32. And you shall know the truth. And that's a promise. Based on what? <laughs> Abiding in his word. You shall know the truth. And then it says what? Next result, the truth shall set you free. I find it so interesting that on some of our government buildings, we have the last part 
of John 8.32 inscribed in the, in the concrete on the government buildings that says the truth shall set you free. And they won't let Jesus in that building at all. What is the context of this? Abide in his word and you're truly disciples of mine and then you'll know his truth. And that truth will set you free. Now, <clears throat> it is directly connected to being uh, used by being a disciple. The more is known and understood of God's word, the more the power of God can flow through you. See, because it's not your power. <laughs> it's his. Do you want the power of God flowing through you or do you want to control the power of God? Because that's the way the sin nature thinks. I got this car and I got this thing called Sirius. It's anything but serious, but it's and I'm going through there looking for some kind of music. And I I ended up the other day with somebody's knocking. Now Mike Dunn can probably sing it for us, but somebody's knocking, would you look at him? You remember that's starting to come back? Lord, it's the devil. <laughs> and he says I never dreamed that he'd have blue eyes and blue jeans. <laughs> and I thought, somebody and a lot of the occult members are looking for ways to control the spirit world. It's a big part of what they get involved in. They get involved in yoga because they want to connect up with the connect up with the the spirits and the entities in these yoga classes to control them. It's being passed off, interesting, from Buddhism and Hinduism. It's just a form of exercise. Well, we got some good friends that she got into yoga one time. This has been 40 years ago. She got into yoga one time, and she was getting really good with it. She's got all of her positions ready and all this sort of stuff. And the whole deal is clear your mind. Christian meditation doesn't clear your mind. <laughs> you ever thought about that? We take a verse and think about it. Okay, that's Christian meditation. But clear your mind. What happens when your mind gets cleared? A void happens. And voids will fill themselves with something. And she was into it one day and she heard a voice say, Hello. <laughs> Thankfully... It scared the bejeebers out of her. And she was out of, out of there. She said, this is not what I came here to do. I came here to relax and exercise and learn how to control my body and all this. And what did it do? Put her in touch with the demon world. It's dangerous. And yet people think it's just normal exercise and, and things. People want to control this power. But I can tell you, we're not capable or able or wise enough to do it. So we need God's power at work through us, submission to his will. Now, this power, interestingly enough, doesn't make a person arrogant. Have you ever noticed how power works? Someone gets promoted into a new position, and the next thing they do, start throwing their weight around. 
misusing it. I'm sure you've seen it in the workplace. Fame, fortune, power, and pleasure, the four major temptations of man, and they're all deadly. And whenever we, we have to be careful if we have power to use it as a servant leader. That's what we're called to do. Use it like Christ used it. Who had all the power in the world, but he was, he said, Son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for the many. So here is the, this, this thing that power from God is going to humble you. It's not going to make you arrogant. Not going to happen. Because it's not your power to begin with. Romans 1, 20-23, since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what's been made, so they're without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or they, nor give thanks. They became futile in their speculation and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. That's a classic, isn't it? And they exchanged. This is what happened when they professed to be wise. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image and form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. They worshipped and served the created rather than the creator. Now, <clears throat> it's not our power because he has all the power. He only allocates it as he chooses to do. And how does he choose to do it? We're learning. Become a disciple of his. Decide you're going to go out on the mission field like Eleanor did. It wasn't her power that got her there or kept her there. And you'll read about it. It was God's power. That did it all. And he gets the credit. She was just willing. And she was available. And so she took the challenge. After multiple people said. No your disabilities are way too bad. You can't possibly do anything. Like that. His power is granted sufficient power. To handle anything they may encounter in life with godly attitudes and actions. Anything. This is what he's telling us here about, about power. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This is the way Peter opens up Second Peter. Seeing that his divine power, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So what do you lack to live this life? I'm sure we can all come up with a big grocery list, can't we? And what does the book say? Nothing. Everything we need for life and godliness. It doesn't say you don't have to go gather it Pick it up. It doesn't say to not work. You know, I love Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, O, lu- o sluggard. <laughs> o lazy person. Learn from its ways. It works. It stores up. 
and it's ready for rough times. Go to the go to the ant and learn. He says, "Here's the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence." So He's given to us everything we need for life, okay, which is mostly spiritual. I read that in Matthew six, long time ago. You know, I see. Seems like it goes something like, uh, "Seek first His kingdom." And all these things, food, shelter, and clothing, shall be added unto you. Hmm. Believers are not given power to use indiscriminately for fleshly reasons, but in accordance with the will of God. He didn't give us this power. Because, see, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit was there when the heavens and earth were created. So how much power do you need inside of you? It's already there. But see, the Trinity is wise. Now, I'm not going to give all this power to idiots. So he works with us. So we'll grow up and be disciples. 1 John 5.14. I, I love this. 5.13. I, I love that verse because these things are written to those of you who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus that you might know. You have eternal life. Next verse. This is the confidence that we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will. He hears us. It's interesting the word ask. Is a word that means to ask from an inferior to a superior. It's the word iteo that is used. The Pharisees talked to Jesus as equals. You find another word, eritao, that's used throughout the Gospels. And they came, they talked to him either as an equal or a superior. Because there's different words and they'll be, all be translated to ask or to question. This is the word that means to ask from an inferior to a superior. So when you go in boldly in front of the throne of grace, you don't leave your humility outside. Okay? <coughs> We ask it according to his will. That's humbly praying. I've, I've found that. See, he's given us sufficient power <coughs> to deal with death, to deal with betrayal, to deal with loss of any kind. Anything you can put in there. <coughs> we have everything we need to deal spiritually, which is number one, with life and godliness. Godliness means becoming more reverent, more subservient to his will, and seeking seeking his will. Colossians 1, 9 to 14. <clears throat> if you want to turn there with me, while I try to get my voice lubed up again. I guess if I'd stop getting emotional, I wouldn't plug my voice up. Colossians 1.9 For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you, this is a Colossian church, and ask that you be filled with the knowledge of His will. See what he's praying for there? In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. James wrote James 3 about 16 years before this. So the, the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below has already been circulated. He says, 
so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. See how studying the Word keeps popping up in there? Strengthened with all power. How much power do you need to get through this? Uh, he who lacks wisdom, let him ask. Who gives to all men generously and without reproach. First Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your cares upon him because it matters to him about you. That word for cares is a word that means every distraction that you can possibly imagine. You want a better parking space at Walmart? Pray about it. Some people say, I don't want to bother God with that. He can handle it. <laughs> okay? And sometimes he says, okay, and one just opens up. And other times he says, no, you need the exercise. And he parks you out at the other end of the other end of the parking lot. He does. I mean, but he doesn't, it doesn't bother him for you to say, I need a better parking space, Lord. Because huh, strengthen with all power. The loss of a loved one and you're having trouble dealing with it and handling it. Huh. Yeah, he knows what that's like. His son, remember? He knows what it's like. You strengthen with all power, sufficient power. According to his glorious might. What's this power given? For the attaining of, of all steadfastness and patience. I don't know if any of the rest of you noticed it takes power to be patient. Does it not? Probably one of the biggest tests of, <laughs> we have all the time. And those of you who were here yesterday know how impatient I got with the electronics that were going on. And uh, the grace of God delivered me about 2 o'clock this morning from <laughs> not being upset about it anymore. I thought, okay, <laughs> it's nothing we can do about it. So we're just going to live with it is what we're, what we're going to do. And he, but the attaining of all patience. But I'll tell you what, it was patience was not achieved with my power. Okay? Because I didn't have it. According to uh, joyously. Patience, joyous patience. Think about that. Because <laughs> oftentimes we're not the least bit joyful when we're trying to be patient, are we? And he says giving thanks to the Father who qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You know what happens whenever you face difficult circumstances and you get through them, you get eternal rewards. And I remember Hebrews 6.10, that says, He's not so unjust as to forget those things. We'll forget them probably in the next 20 seconds, but He never does forget them. He says, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness, really authority of darkness. It is the, the kingdom of Satan is what he's talking about. He broke that. As an unbeliever, as you are, you're an enemy of God. And who, who are you following, whether you know it or not? Oh, devil himself. Because you're, if you're trying to do stuff, even nice stuff, you're doing it for yourself. You're not doing it to the glory of God. And it's called human good. It's that tree that was off limits in the garden, remember? Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's a good that's not pleasing to God at all. 
And he says, he delivered us from his authority. That's how you became a child of God. And transferred us. I love this. To the kingdom of his beloved son. Guess what? We got a spot in Christ's kingdom. In whom? The in whom is the son. We have redemption. Remember the picture? We're entered into union with Christ. Where's redemption found? It's not outside of him. It's inside of him. When we put our faith in him, we're entered into union with him. And in there, you can pick up the book on the back table, Foundations 2. It's got 50 things that you get the moment you put your faith in Christ. And that's so comforting to me. Uh, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now verses 15 to 20 is cited in all the systematic theology textbooks that you can find. And it's all about the pre-incarnate deity of Jesus Christ. It's the proof text. Yeah, he's the one that created all the things. Jesus has always been here. He's God who became man. He's not a man who became God. That's what the Buddhists would have you believe in the Hindus and even the occult. He is God that became man. Now this power is given so we can be transformed to know the love of Christ in order to be filled up to all the fullness of God. I think Kelvin got my notes somehow. Actually, you did get my notes early. Huh? After the fact. After the fact. Okay, you already had it done. All right. <laughs> because I keep quoting verses that he quote, quoted with this, the music today. Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 19. Uh, this is a wonderful passage. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. This is Paul talking. It's the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Paul said, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Okay, no family is just an accident here on earth. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, and the inner man. Wow. Why did that Holy Spirit move inside? Why did he move inside? To strengthen you with power. You say, well, what good's that going to do? What it's going to do is build a relationship you're like you can't imagine. What else would it do? And then it says, so we'll know what it means to be strengthened with his power. In the inner man, so that Christ, so that Messiah, may dwell in your hearts through faith. The moment we believe in Christ, we're entered into union with Christ. But Galatians 4.19 says, until Christ is formed in you. We are in him, but he's not yet in us. We are born again. And how do we get Christ formed in us? By faith. So that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so you can be filled up to all the fullness of God. 
That means that you have the opportunity to have a relationship, all the fullness of God. He didn't say Father, Son, Spirit. Separately, he said, God, everything that they've got to offer, you can be, whatever the plan of God is, you can be fine in it. What the Son did for you on the cross, you can grow to appreciate it. And you can learn to how to live this relationship through the love the Holy Spirit has brought into your life. This is such an amazing system that he has designed. I had a friend that said, if you could ever say it right, how could anybody turn it turn it down? And it kind of, it seems like the scriptures told us how to say it right. And I think that's what we're called to do. We're called to go say it right. We're talking about Danny. Danny had the gift of evangelism. And I thought about it yesterday, but didn't quite come out. There's no telling how many people Danny led to the Lord. Okay, Lord knows that. But what we do know is that he positively touched over almost everybody met. We don't know all the details of every relationship for the cause of Christ. He lived what he learned from the scripture. And that is quite an epitaph. That's quite a eulogy. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for your mercy, your grace, your love, all your blessings, all your tests. We thank you just for the privilege of being your kids. Thank you for sending your son to take our place on a cross that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you for the promises that you give. This tell us to meet one simple simple condition and that you'll take care of the rest for all of eternity. Father, it is in, indeed simple for us, but it was extremely costly for you. May we never lose sight of that. May we grow in our godliness, in our respect and awe for you. May we also take your word to our neighbors, our friends, and support missionaries all over the world. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.